Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here with us today and another opportunity to get into God's Word. If you are joining us for the very first time, uh, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, and we're here every single day, Monday through Friday, from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an expository teaching in the Word of God. If you want more information on Raven Ministries, encourage you to go to our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com, and you can get more information on Raven Ministries International, and hopefully you'll get a lot more information on Jesus than you will on us, because folks, really, that's what we're here for. We're here to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is just the vehicle that he has given us to declare his kingdom and his glory throughout all the earth. And we're glad that you have joined us here today. Tell somebody about it. Tell them that we're here uh, teaching the word of God in an expository fashion uh, each each day uh, during the week, and we'd love for them to join us. If during the course of the, the class, this live interactive class for you guys that are with us here today, you have questions, please hold those off until the top of the hour. Or if you have a question you need a little bit more detail on or something that you've heard during the course of this uh, class, email me at raven at biggrace.com, raven, R-A-V-E-N, at B-I-G-G-R-A-C-E.com, raven at biggrace.com, and we'd be glad to answer any of your questions in more detail. If it's not particularly uh, uh, revolving around our discussion, I'd be glad to answer those too. We just probably won't address them live on the air, but we will address those questions and help you the best that we can with what God has entrusted us with. Also, if you have prayer requests, we are still in the middle of a season of prayer and fasting, and we would love to stand with you in prayer as well. So if you have prayer requests, you can send those to pray at biggrace.com, P-R-A-Y at biggrace.com, and we'd love to stand with you uh, for those prayer needs, uh, not just here, but just during the week as we receive those in, as we lift those up to the Lord Jesus in prayer. And so let us know how things are going. Give us your... Uh, testimonies and let us see uh, uh, hear what God's doing in your neck of the woods and we'd love to uh, stand with you in, in any way that we can whether it's uh, facilitating something you'll notice on our website we have teams scattered all across North America and we'd love to be a part of what God is doing in your church your city your life in some way or another so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning let's ask for his blessing and his direction on today's time of, of service and uh, just believe that God's going to reveal some tremendous thanks to us through his word today amen Father, we just come to you right now in the precious name of your Son, Jesus, and we thank you, Lord God, for another tremendous opportunity, Lord God, to, to know you, Lord God, that we might make you known, Lord God, into a darkened world. Father, we just come today by the only way that we can, and that's through the shed blood of your Son, Jesus. Lord God, we know that we have got to have the mind of Christ, Lord God, in this hour. We have got to, to, to look to you as the, as the author, the finisher of our faith, Lord God. We've got to remain steadfast and movable, Lord God, in this late hour. Lord God, through all the trials, the tribulations, Lord God, the difficulties, Lord God, that are facing this world. Lord God, we know that we have one, but one hope, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord God, we come not leaning on our own understanding, Lord God, but acknowledging Jesus today, Lord God, asking that he would direct our paths. So, Father, as we come into this place, we ask you to cleanse our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. Lord God, we do not want anything, Father, de de deflecting, Lord God, our worship from you. We do not want anything, Lord God, hindering our, our ability to come into your presence. And we know the only thing that can do that, Lord God, is sin. And we know that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, Lord God, we ask you to cleanse us from all sin, Lord Jesus. Not just uh, the, the things that the world or the, the church would see as repulsive, but anything, Lord God, that would cause 
us to miss the mark of the standard, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We lay those things down and we ask you to cleanse us, Lord God, to purge us from all unrighteousness, Lord God. And Father, cause us, Lord God, to, as you've declared, to be holy, even as you are holy. And we thank you, Lord God, for your love, your, your, your faithfulness, Lord God, that you said if we confess our sins, you're faithful to uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to cast those sins in the sea of forgetfulness, Lord God, to put them as far as the east is from the west, Lord God. So, Father, we thank you that our holiness is in our faith in the finished work of the cross, not by our own works of righteousness, Lord God, which is just filthy rags. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for, for his sacrifice, for his great love for us, and that we can have faith in him because of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that comes on us, Lord God, as we're convicted of sin and of righteousness and judgment, and we turn from our wicked ways and to Christ. So, Father, as we come today, we just come, Lord God, as your children, Lord God. We come as heirs together with Christ Jesus. And, Father, we just lift up those. Lord God, that have been sending prayer requests in. Father, there's so many. Lord God, uh, prayer needs for, for physical uh, healing and, and, and deliverance, Lord God. Father, we, we receive so many requests from people whose children are battling drug addiction, Lord God, or have just gone wayward, Lord God, away from you and have wandered off of the path, Lord God, into destruction. And so, Father, we pray for them today. We pray for those that are bound by chemical, Lord God, and uh, dependency, Lord God, whether it's drugs or alcohol, Lord God, those bound by other uh, uh, addictions, Lord God, whether it's... Uh, uh, a sexual addiction, Lord God, or, or some other type of addiction to pornography or something of that nature. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would break the yoke of the adversary once and for all, and you would cause a freedom, Lord God, to come into people's lives. Because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, Lord God, there is freedom and there is liberty, because you've come to set at liberty those that are in captivity. So, Father, we ask, Lord God, for a freedom from sickness, a freedom from disease, Lord God, a freedom from bondage, Lord God, a freedom from stress and from worry, Lord God. Father, let us set our affections on those things that are above and not beneath, Lord God. And so we look once again and seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, Lord God, knowing that, that those things that are our needs, Lord God, will be added unto us. So, Father, today we just pray, Lord God, for each one. Father, we pray for those that have a, a, a just a, a stirring financial need, Lord God. Father, I know many people, Lord God, right here in the body of Christ, uh, Lord God, that, that serve you, Lord God, faithfully, that need a financial miracle, Lord God. They've been uh, faithful, Lord God, to, to, to do and to give and to, to, to walk with you. And I'm asking for a breakthrough, Lord God, once and for all. I'm asking you, Lord God, to just... Uh Shower down your blessing, Lord God. Father, not so their pockets will be filled, Lord God, but so their needs will be met, Lord God. You said that, that you'll supply all of our needs according to your glory through Christ Jesus. And I'm believing, Lord God, that you're faithful and you watch over your word in which to perform it, Lord God. So we're just asking, Lord God, that you rebuke the devourer and open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing there be not room enough to contain, Lord God. So, Father, we ask for your direction here today, your, your power, your, your, uh, your spirit, Lord God, to be upon this place. That you would just open our eyes, Lord God, and expose your word to us as you reveal your son Jesus, Lord God, in a, in a new and dynamic way in this hour. Father, I pray, Lord God, for pastors and teachers, Lord God, and, and preachers, Lord God, all across this world, Lord God, that, that, are, that are facing, Lord God, uh, calamitous times, Lord God, and, and, and tempestuous times as well. And I'm asking you, Lord God, to strengthen them, Lord God. Let them not grow weary in well-doing, but, Lord God, let them know that in due season they'll, they'll reap if they do not faint. Father, some that are just thinking about just giving up and just said, is it even worth it? Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would just stir something up, Lord God. You'd begin to deal with them according to the call, Lord God, that, that those, Lord God, that have backed off, Lord God, of just preaching righteousness, Lord God, that, Father, you'd just cause a fire, Lord God, to be stirred up in them. They'd begin to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Lord God. Just cause, Lord God, revival to sweep, sweep Lord God, through the, the, the leaders, Lord God, and through those that you've called, Lord God, into spiritual governmental offices, Lord God, as well. Lord God, that that voice may be ri uh, raised up, Lord God, in this last 
last day, that we'll begin to shout from the, the housetop, Lord God, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for another day, another opportunity, Lord God. Let us glorify Jesus. And if you come today, uh, find your servants so doing everything that you called us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Guys, if you guys see those uh, prayer requests coming across the screen as well, write those down. And stand with these folks in prayer that are coming. Uh, it's not just us that pray, amen, but uh, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avail much. So I really encourage you, as you see those prayer requests come across the screen that maybe I don't call specifically out by name, write those down and, and just really intercede for those needs of uh, people's children, husbands, uh, other type of needs here as well. I see the uh, the, the prayer for fertility, someone's desire to have a child. So begin to, uh, to keep those prayer requests coming all the time. So, Folks, today we're going to continue in our look at where we started out this past week in the 11th chapter of the Revelation or the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ as given to the Apostle Paul, excuse me, Apostle John while he was exiled there on the island of Patmos. You know, as I mentioned in the last class, I've kind of broken this down to uh, basically five basic parts or components in this 11th chapter to really kind of help you understand the unfolding of events. I'll, I'll give you those five again as I did yesterday. So you can kind of have that as a basis if you're just joining us for the first time. And again, if you are joining us for the first time, we welcome you to the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, an expository teaching. We're here Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 Eastern Standard Time, and we'd love you to join us here for this. And so those five things are, number one, the rebuilding of the temple. We covered that yesterday. Number two, the identity of the two witnesses. Number three, the ministry of the two witnesses. Number four, the death and resurrection of the two witnesses. And number five, the sound of the seventh trumpet. And those are coming up on your screen if you're with us live. So the rebuilding of the temple, we covered that pretty much in detail yesterday. Identity of the two witnesses, we're looking at that today. The ministry of the two witnesses, we touched on it yesterday. We're going to cover a little bit more today. Death and resurrection of two witnesses and the sound of the seventh trumpet. And so Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, I want to read those to, to you again as we kind of uh, uh, use that to, to move into the, the next part of this lesson. And it says, There was given unto me, speaking of John, a reed like unto a rod. Mentioned that those reeds or those breaks are uh, typically removed from the River Jordan and uh, about 10 foot in length uh, uh, typically is what they used as a standard of measurement. And it says, And the angel stood and saying, Arise and measure the temple and the altar and them that worship therein. Uh, but the court which is outside the temple, leave it out and do not measure it, for it is given unto the Gentiles in the holy city that they shall tread underfoot forty and two months. So this temple, folks, once again, as we discussed yesterday, is somewhat different than uh, uh, Solomon's temple. It's different than Zerubbabel's temple. It's different than the revamped uh, Herod's temple in that it does not contain the outer court uh, that was the court of the Gentiles. And so the message in all of this seems to be kind of in a nutshell is A, that the, that the return to the standard uh, is going to be given that was the standard of the Old Covenant. So they're going to return back to that standard. I mentioned yesterday that, that Judaism has kind of regressed into a, a kind of a more rabbinical law rather than the, the Mosaic law or the standard that God had established for them according to the pattern that he had given them in Exodus chapter 35. And so what we're going to see is a return to that standard and a desire to see the, the, the total fulfillment of that 70th week of Daniel or the, the period of Jacob's trouble. And the second thing, or B, is the demonstration that this seven years is not for the Gentiles or for the church for that matter, but rather for the Jews to be restored back to that covenant. So, 
Keep in mind, as we talk about this, that, that the, the Jews are going to be allowed to, uh, to worship really unabated in the temple for the, the first half of the tribulation, or the 42 months, or the times, times, and half times, or the 1260 days. You have all those terminologies that are given that all mean the same thing, three and a half years. And after that three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to go in and he's going to desecrate the temple by entering in himself and demanding that he be worshipped as God, called the abomination of desolation or the abomination that maketh desolate. And so I want to give you kind of the breakdown of these terminologies real quick so that you can kind of have a better understanding on the issue of time frame. It's really important in these events occurring during the Great Tribulation. You know, I've heard many people say, over uh, over the years, you know what? This, there's really not going to be a literal tribulation. Seven is speaking of a a, a, a kind of a totality or uh, or a, a, a age long tribulation. And so the tribulation we're probably in it, probably been in it for hundreds of thousands of years, and probably be in it an additional hundreds of thousands of years. Most adherents to that type of uh, time frame uh, don't believe in any, any type of rapture of the church. They really don't adhere to a millennial reign. It's more of a uh, kind of a pseudo-kingdom-now type of mentality that says we'll go through that and only then that'll end when the church uh, basically takes over all government, when the church... Uh uh, becomes uh, uh, we put our man in, in Congress and in the Senate and and over the the uh, the all these uh, the World Monetary Fund basically that's the whole people that adhere to that this is not a literal time but this is a figurative of just kind of an age long thing and and it's been they've been saying that for years and years you know and, and Jesus mentioned that he said you know what all your ancestors have said you know they quoted that said that you know he's not coming back that all these things have happened till now but he he brought them to task and said listen. I know what they've said in the past, but this is the time. And folks, this is the time that we're talking about. And so he begins to talk about the, uh, the holy city is going to be tread under the foot of the Gentiles for 42 months. 42 months equals basically 12 months times three and a half years. So 42 months. The difference being in the uh, Jewish calendar, it's only 360 days. You know, in our uh, 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 English calendar, if I can use that uh, terminology, obviously 365 days, and you have we have our leap years. And so their their calendar was uh, 360 days, or uh, or the, the the three and a half years would be 1260 days. Uh, total. So this period of time, folks, is repeated time and time again throughout the, the Scripture, mainly uh, here in the book of Revelation and in Daniel. And so another way that three and a half year period is described is times, times, and half times. And so 42 months uh, is uh, referenced in Revelation 11.2 and Revelation 13.5. 1260 days, same, same length of time. Revelation 11.3. Revelation 12.6. Three and a half years is utilized in Daniel 9.27. Times, time, and half times. Daniel 7.25. Daniel 12.7. And Revelation 12 and 4. And, and folks, really, this, this whole time period, what makes this significant is the fact that, uh, you know, it's, it is Daniel's 70th week. And it's a seven-year period of tribulation. That is going to... Uh, have to take place before the actual second advent or the, the physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth. And so that seven uh, years, though, is divided into two three-and-a-half-year halves, each being 1,260 uh, days or 42 months long. And so this, I, want to, I want to kind of look at the context of that three of the three-and-a-half-year period that are mentioned here. Because I, want, I think what they're going to do is kind of give us a, uh, some details that are going to help us kind of understand this whole period. And so I'm going to give you basically kind of three columns here. And you can put this down in your notes. First half, midpoint, 
second half. First point, midpoint. First, excuse me, first half, midpoint, second half. Because those are three terminologies that we, we've seen before and we're going to see time and time again as we continue through this. And here's kind of the, the in the first half, and, and under each one of those, you're going to have a, a title. And number one is going to be the agreement. The agreement. And so the first half, you're going to have that seven-year agreement that the Antichrist signs uh, uh, with the Jews, allowing them for temple worship. At the midpoint, you're going to have that agreement that's going to be broken by the Antichrist. This is all under agreement. First half, midpoint, second half, under agreement. So first half of the agreement, seven-year agreement they make. He makes a treaty, peace treaty with them. But at the midpoint, he breaks that, that agreement through this abomination of desolation. Then the second half, basically what you're going to have is the Jews fleeing to the mountains for the second half of the Great Tribulation. So that's the agreement, first half, midpoint, second half. Now let's look at the Antichrist, first half, midpoint, second half. Antichrist, the first half, he makes peace with, and, uh, makes peace with and wars with the nations, but he guarantees Israel's security. The midpoint, Satan is actually going to enter this, this individual. He's going to possess him. And he's going to demand worship as God. Well, you know what's interesting about that? You know, prior to the, the midpoint of the tribulation, this is a person under a demonic oppression or a demonic type of influence, a strong demonic influence. And with that, he, he's able to kind of hold back his, uh, uh, what, what happens here with this abomination of desolation. But once he becomes totally possessed by that, listen, all bets are off. And so it, it reverts back really to what we saw with uh, the fall of, of Satan wanting to be like the Most High. And so this person is going to gain all this acclaim. It's going to gain the accolades of people. And so Satan, uh, really kind of being the puppet master at the time, is not going to be able to share his glory. So what's he going to do? It's going to be a full-scale possession of this Antichrist at the midpoint. Then the second half under the Antichrist, the economic system is going to set up. We're going to talk about the, the 666, the mark of the beast. And there's going to be the execution of believers and Jews happening worldwide. Then the, the third thing is the temple. First half, the temple is going to be rebuilt. Sacrifice is resumed. The midpoint, sacrifice is stopped. The abomination of desolation is set up. The second half, Jerusalem and the temple are going to be conquered for three and a half years. They're going to be overran by the Gentiles. And the image of the Antichrist is going to be set up in the temple. Fourth thing, judgments. First half, we see the, the seals and the six trumpet judgments. Midpoint, we have an earthquake in Jerusalem and the seventh trumpet. Then in the second half, we have the seven bowl judgments and the battle of Armageddon. Fifth thing, witnesses to earth, uh, people that dwell on the earth. Deb's typing furiously for those that are here. So, so the, the fifth thing, the witnesses to those that are on the earth. First half, the rapture. The 144,000. And the two witnesses are going to stand as a testimony to those that are on earth. At the midpoint, the witnesses killed and raptured. Then the second half, the angels are going to warn earth's remaining inhabitants. The sixth thing that we're going to see under these three titles is going to be heaven. The first half, the seals are going to be open in heaven. The midpoint, a war in heaven, Satan cast out of heaven. And the second half, 
the marriage of the Lamb and the return of the Lord Jesus to earth. So you kind of have a kind of a basis, a breakdown of some terminology, some things that are going to be unfolding. So now I want to read to you uh, Revelation eleven three through five, and here's what it begins to say. Understand, we've talked about the building of the temple; those things are going to happen. And now it says, "I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they will prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days for three and a half years." Clothed in sackcloth. And these two are olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before uh, the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this like manner be killed. You know, today, folks, what I want to do is we've touched on this just a little bit in previous classes and a little bit yesterday. But I want to kind of take a look at, at, at a little closer at both the ministry and the identity of these two witnesses that we're being introduced to in Revelation chapter uh, 11, 3, 4, and 5. You know, there's been a lot of speculation kind of concerning uh, the identity of this pair. You know, some have even uh, adhered to kind of a symbolic approach. You know, we've talked about the, the, the preterists uh, that don't believe that this is going to happen uh, act in, in, in actuality, that maybe some of the events were historical and all these things are kind of symbolic. And, and most of those people will think that these are just symbolic of two groups of people that are going to be uh, kind of witnessing. They think maybe the church and the, and the Jews. Uh, and, but I personally believe that this is going to be two literal individuals. Uh, they're going to be uh, be revealed in this day, and, and we're going to talk about exactly why. You know, back I, I remember back in Texas that I knew two guys that actually thought that they were the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. This guy and his best friend uh, were convinced that they were going to be the ones that were going to be calling down fire from heaven and doing all these things we're going to talk about. And uh, they, at the time, you know, uh, they barely walked with the Lord. Neither one of them were Jews. And I think both of them have probably since abandoned the, the faith. So obviously they, neither one of those qualified nor do they qualify as the witnesses in the book of the Revelation. Maybe you think you're one of those as well. But uh, those, those roles have already been taken. There's a lot of roles that God is still offering up to anybody that would. But those are two that have probably pretty much been settled. And so the question we got to ask ourselves, so who are these men and what is their message? And the message really is obvious. And we, we can't discount this message and why this message is being preached. And the message, message basically is repent and turn to the true Christ, which is uh, the Lord Jesus. You know, verse 3 uh, says that they will be clothed in sackcloth. And I said yesterday that I believe this is probably more figurative than, than literal in regards to, to, to the apparel or the clothing that these men are, are wearing. And the reason being is sackcloth is a term always associated with mourning and repentance. It's mourning and repentance. And folks, these two men were going to be doing the, both of those things in and through their message in this late hour in history. You know, I think sometimes people get the idea that a strong message that includes a rebuke and the promise of judgment uh, uh, to the unrepentant heart is a message that's going to be devoid of love. It's going to be a, de a devoid of compassion. It, it, but folks, really, what we're going to find and what we should know through the Scriptures, that's just not the case. What it is is these two men that are coming is they mourn the condition of the world at this time probably because of the fact that they know the reality of what the wicked will face and, and what they're also going to miss out on as a result of their unbelief. Now, both of these men, you've got to think about this just for a second. And, and as we identify you, I think you'll get it a little bit clearer. Both of these men, prior to this assignment or this task of, of, of witnessing there in Jerusalem for this, this, this half of the, the tribulation period, will have been in the very presence of God for generations. And so think about how that changes your message. 
Think about when you just let's just break it down to a little more simpler and more personally uh, applicable manner. When you're in a season really of a, a devout prayer and, and maybe intense consecration, think about how that influences your message. Think about how that influences your perspective upon things. Think about when when God is really just speaking to you in just a, a really intimate way, and maybe you've just got a revelation on His righteousness and holiness. Think about how your message is always going to be influenced and changed and and kind of measured by what you know. I think about John. We talk about John with this revelation. Think about uh, uh, the book of First John, uh, the epistle to uh, to these people battling this this, this Gnostic uh, heretics. And what did he say? He said, "We testify of the things we both see and hear." And so when these 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 two witnesses show up on the scene. Their preaching is going to be filtered through and, and manifested and built upon all those things that they've seen and heard. Now, folks, today, and we've mentioned this many times, we see through a glass darkly. We see things shrouded. But can you imagine when that which is perfect has come and that which is in part shall be done away with, exactly how much authority that we're going to preach with? Folks, listen, the, the amount of, uh, of sincerity, the amount of compassion, the, the amount of urgency it is really that, that comes out of your message, your testimony, your witness, whatever you want to call it, it is really going to be commensurate with the revelation of who Jesus is in your life. And so if your message is not urgent, there's no urgency in your relationship with Jesus. If your message is not a message of holiness, chances are there's not a call to holiness in your relationship with Jesus. If your message is not one of, of, of dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following Him, the chances are your relationship with Jesus cannot be characterized by denying yourself, taking up your cross and follow Him. And folks, that's just the stark reality of it. Our message is always going to be moved, motivated, and manifested by where we are and what we know and what we see in regards to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so both of these men, once again, have been in the presence of God for generations. And so they've known the glory of His presence. They, they've known the majesty of His throne. They've known the scope of His power. They, and they've also known His great love for mankind. And they've seen the, the full realization of what the work of the cross was, was really all about. You know what they've seen, folks? They've seen Jesus seated upon a throne in glory right there in all power and majesty, clothed with the sun, a rainbow all round about His throne. They've seen the four and twenty elders casting their crowns before Him. But you know what they've also seen? They've seen still yet His nail-scarred hands. They've seen the King of glory that's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. They've seen Him with crowns upon His head and eyes like fire. They've seen the power, the majesty, those omni-attributes of Him. But when they look and they behold His hands, they behold His feet, they behold His side, they behold uh, the, 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 the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the spotless, sinless Lamb, and they look upon the testimony and He says, I've inscribed you upon the palms of my hand. They see that. Folks, if we could just see who God is and just see the manifestation of His great love for us, you know what it's going to do? It's going to change everything about our message, our prayer life. It's going to change our testimony, our preaching, our teaching. Everything about our marriages, our children, our family, the way we address everything is going to be moved and motivated by that. And so that's us in this limited capacity, in this limited opportunity, really, that we have right now. But can you imagine these men that have have dwelt and set in a place of unlimitless possibilities and revelation of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now they're thrust into this environment that is that is wretched, that is heinous, that is filled with debauchery, that's filled with abominations and and all of these things, blasphemies and wars and, 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 and the repulsive behavior. 
Can you imagine how their message is going to meet that type of environment? Folks, listen, it's going to come across as iron against an anvil. It is going to ring upon men's hearts, and men are going to say, you're haters, you're unloving. You know, But these men are going to be the genuine, true ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ because they will have received their commissioning directly from Him, and it's going to be devoid of any type of personal impediment, any type of political correctness, any type of religiosity or the philosophy of men. Any, anything that would temper and, and, and dilute that message is going to be removed. Why? Because of where they've been and who they've been with. And so they will just go as he did because they've been in training for many years prior to the assignment that they're now giving. So if you think about what they're going to be saying, folks, it's going to be powerful and it's going to be uncut and undiluted. And so I look at Psalm uh, 35, 11 through 13. And it talks about, we know that in the last days that, that there will be false prophets and there will be liars and they will be moving in signs and lying wonders. And in Psalms 35, 11 through 13, it says false witnesses did rise up. And certainly uh, before the, uh, the uh, introduction of these two witnesses, false witnesses, uh, heretics, all of these uh, despisers, those things that are good enemies of the cross. And it says, and what they did is they laid to my charge things that I did not know or things that I did not do. And they rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, uh, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned unto my own bosom. Folks, false witnesses are going to rise up against the true witnesses and will accuse them of being at the root of the world's problems. That's exactly what's going to happen. And you know, they're going to despise them. They're going to call for their deaths. Uh, they're going to be much maligned through media outlets and, and, and may even be burned in effigy on the, on the streets of, of Jerusalem. And so their call to repentance is really going to fall upon deafened ears and hardened hearts. And they're going to find themselves really declaring a message much like Isaiah had to declare the message that we see within the context of his prophetic book to a people that are going to be stick, stiff next and are going to hear, but they're going to refuse to repent. Yet, folks... Because of the fact that these men had seen the Lord, they had been there, they had seen the full manifestation of His glory and power, and they're ultimately going to know that the, 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 the intimates of, of His presence that's going to be coming, that, that they're going to see the, the righteousness. There's not going to be any temptation or, or any message that's going to come at them that's going to cause their message to fit into the culture. But instead... What the culture is going to do, it's going to sharpen their message that's going to pierce through the hardness of men's hearts. And so they're not going to say, I need to back down because of opposition. They're not going to say, I'm outside of the will of God because things are going bad. What are they going to do? They're going to sharpen that message up and they're going to drive it even more home into a darkened world. And folks, consider this. There's going to be many people... And probably the, the pastor of a few mega churches at this time are going to still be on television uh, preaching their, 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 their doctrines of devils. And you know what? They'll probably go on Larry King Live and they're going to uh, denounce these men and they're going to say uh, that they're not who they are. They'll probably be going on uh, uh, these false teachers are going to probably go on the Oprah Winfrey show. If she's got a show, she'll probably be the secretary of state or, or something by that point. And, you know, they're going to say that these men have don't have any love. They're going to say that they're haters. They're going to say that they're bigots. They're going to say that a loving God would never say such things like that they do. That's what's probably going to end up happening. But they will declare through Psalm 69, 9 through 11, that for the zeal, that's Psalm 69, 9 through 11, for the zeal of your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee has fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also of my garment, 
and I became a proverb to them. These men are going to be, become a proverb to those that hear this message. And so the perspective, folks, that they're going to be preaching from is the perspective really that each of us should now be preaching from and, and witnessing from and living from and testifying from right now. And that is the perspective of the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which we talk about so many times from Matthew 6 and 33. Folks, I will always mention first what I am seeking first. Do I need to say that again? I'm going to mention first that which I am seeking first. And so, if it's my job that consumes my conversation, the chances are I'm seeking after my job. If it's my boyfriend or my girlfriend or some relationship that is central to all my dialogue, that's what I'm seeking after. If it's my, if you run into me and the first thing I'm talking about is the Super Bowl or my, my favorite sports team, and that's all I rattle on about, chances are that is what I'm seeking first. What I mention first is usually what I'm seeking first. And so I, I really ask you and challenge you to begin to do a, an inventory of your conversation. You know, uh, Luke 6.45 tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so my witness, my testimony, my message will be fed by that which is at the center of my affections and my Desires. Psalms 50 and 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And him that orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. And so folks, these two witnesses are ordering their conversation aright because they will and they have and they do see the salvation of God. And so folks, when I see the salvation of God, and I'm not just talking about a salvation that's going to rescue me from a devil's hell uh, when, I, when I die. I'm not talking about a, uh, uh, the, the salvation of God that, that, that is a result of me joining a church. I'm not talking about the salvation of God that gets me a baptismal certificate when I get dunked in a tank in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about a salvation that's nearer than, to me than when I first believed. I'm talking about when I order my conversation aright, I'm going to know the salvation of God that brings righteousness and holiness and an urgency, that brings a consecration uh, uh, to Jesus, that brings a desperation to a lost and dying world, that brings a willingness to lay down my life and to, to pursue after Him and to, 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 to let the, the focus and the center of my life in my conversation to be stayed upon Jesus and Him be the center of everything and, and Him being my the, the thing that I'm pressing to is that, that prize for the mark of the, of, of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. And so, they, we know, folks, that their message will not be a message of speculation, but it's going to be a message of declaration. And so they're not going to be walking up saying, well, this might happen and this could happen. They're not going to be saying, well, I think the Lord said this. You know what they're going to walk in and saying? Behold, thus saith the Lord. They're going to speak with that type of authority. They're not going to speak in all these shrouded visions and, and, and pseudo-dreams like you see all these modern-day mystics that are parading themselves around in, in churches and, 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 and pilfering the coffers of the body of Christ. What you're going to have is people, they're going to say it and, and it's going to happen. They're not going to say, well, I believe... Why don't you pray about that. What they're going to say is, Behold, thus saith the Lord, and those things are going to happen at their word in accordance with the Scripture. And so it's not going to be a, a, a political message, but it's going to be a polarizing message. In other words, their message is not going to be a word, a word of, 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 of correctness, but it's going to be a word of consecration. It's going to be a word not that, that, that unifies people. It's going to be that word that comes like a sword that pierces and divides. It's going to say, Think not that we've come to bring peace. Nay, but we've came to bring a sword. That we're going to set at odds. And we're going to set at difference. Mother against father. Nation against nation. People against people. Father against son. That's the type of message that they're going to bring. And it's not going to be a message of tolerance folks, 
But it's going to be a message of terror that comes upon people. It's not going to say that there's a sweet chance for you. It's not going to be a message that says, you know what, God is a loving, compassionate God. It's going to be a message that 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. They are going to know the terror of the Lord because they have seen the testimony of Jesus. They've been in His presence. They're going to know that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so what is their message? It's going to be a message that causes the, the wicked to tremble in their boots. It's going to cause them to tear at their own flesh and to, and, to, and, to, and to call for the heads of these men that are preaching without fear and without compromise in that hour. And I believe that God is looking for some people that will have that same message right here and now. Whether it's in your school, whether it's out in front of a nightclub, whether it's in your church that you've got to rise up from that fourth pew and you say, listen, behold, thus saith the Lord. Folks, that's the message that God is looking for this world. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, hallelujah. I'm going to stop preaching for just a second hopefully teach you just a little bit about this. But folks, listen, we, if we can't get compassionate and passionate about those things that, that these men are going to be passionate about in that hour, listen, are, are, are we going to be fit for the kingdom as well? And so, we know what the message is. And so, who are these Men and folks, really, one of these men is, is pretty much settled in the mind of, of most Bible, uh, Bible scholars as being Elijah the prophet. And, and I'll give you kind of the reasons for uh, this being much settled in before moving on to the, the the second of these two witnesses. And look at Malachi chapter three, verse one. Malachi chapter three, verse one. Most preachers think the only uh, reason to turn to Malachi is to take up an offering. But really, you can get you can turn to Malachi for many things. I love Malachi three six that he is the Lord God and he does not change. But let's go to Malachi three one, where he says, "Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple." So look at look at how this all fits together. Even the messenger of the covenant. What is this seventieth uh, week of Daniel? What is this 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 time of Jacob's trouble? What is this? It's the time of the restoring of that covenant to them. Whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, we know that he's coming. He's going to become a messenger. Where is he going to come to? He's going to come to the temple. Where does this, this prophet come to? Where does this, this, this one of his witnesses going to come preaching right there in Jerusalem, the site of the temple? Now, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 gives the identity of this messenger. He said, I will, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he didn't say, I'm going to send you one in the spirit of Elijah the prophet. He didn't say, I'm going to send you somebody that's going to look like him, act like him, preach like him. He said, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. When? Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we talked about exactly what that is. That is that, 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 that the totality of things, the, the, continue, the finished work of that covenant otherwise known as this great tribulation period. And so that, that, that statement right there in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and chapter 4 verse 5 is also corroborated in a couple other places as well. And I want to give you a couple um, instances that, that kind of uh, verify and validate that statement there. Number one is uh, Elijah obviously never died. And he was taken up in a, in a whirlwind fire. And so Second Kings, we, you can see that in Second Kings chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. And Secondly, uh, Elijah was a prophet of God to the Jews. Elijah was a prophet of God to the Jews. I'll tell you why all this is important in just a second. And thirdly, the types of judgment here in the Revelation are consistent with the same events that took place in his 
ministry. We're going to see that they're going to shut up heaven for three and a half years. We saw that when he was introduced in, in what First uh, Kings 17, when he went to Ahab, and he told him, he said, it's not going to rain, uh, rain all these years until I say so. And it didn't rain upon the earth for, for three and a half years. We see that same type of pattern and the same uh, 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 judgments that came upon the world at that time. And so uh, the second witness, and so we see that, that Elijah is, is consistent and, and, and pretty much settled with most Bible scholars. The second witness, though, is usually where the debate is centered around. And most people, though, would usually kind of round it down to either uh, Enoch or Moses. Enoch or Moses. And folks, those who typically adhere to the, uh, the Enoch belief uh, usually rest most of it upon the fact that he too never died a physical death. And so they'll quote from, uh, from Hebrews 9.27 that says it's appointed that a man wants to die, and, but after this the judgment. And they'll say... Because he never died, he will be the one because uh, he'll have to be the one because this passage states that, that everyone has to face a physical death. But folks, that's just not even Bible. You know, the phrase that we get there in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, 27, it's not meant to be a doctrinal statement that, regarding life and death here on earth. It's really not. You know, Jesus told himself, speaking prophetically, he said, you know, there's some here that's not going to taste of death. But what they're going to see is the Son of God, Son of Man coming in his glory with his angels. That's not a, 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 a doctrinal statement, but more so a Hebraic idiom. In other words, it's a figure of speech. And it's a point of the man that declares no one's going to get a free pass, that, that, that everybody's going to face judgment, that everybody is going to come to that place, that you can put it off as long as you want to, but uh, one day you're going to have to pay the piper. I mean, whatever terminology that you want to use metaphorically or this Hebraic idiom is what he was saying. It's a point of the man wants to die and then the judgment. So if we say, well, because Enoch never died, that he's going to have to physically die, that's just not consistent with doctrinal beliefs. And it's not consistent with those that are either going to be that are going to be alive and remain or going to be caught up together with him in the air. What about all those folks? They're never going to taste of a physical death. And so the other proof test, uh, text that most people also use uh, for Enoch is usually taken from the book of Jude. Uh, Jude 1. had to be Jude 1. You know why? Because there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude 1, uh, 14, verses 14 and 15. And it says this, it says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. We'll see that in, in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 19. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. And of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so, you know, while one could probably really make a, a pretty decent case for this man, uh, and he'd probably make a fantastic witness, obviously. You know, I think that the evidence seems more so to support uh, that Moses will be the other witness during this time. And, and I'm going to show you why I believe that. Uh, Luke 16.16 16, Luke 16, 16 says this. It says, The law and the prophets were until John. And this John speaking is not John the Apostle John. It's not John the Revelator, but it's John the Baptist, who was really the last prophet of the Old Covenant. Introduced to him... Uh, in his message in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And it says, The law and the prophets were until John, since the time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man pressed into it. And so we see the, the establishment of the law and the prophets. Romans 3.21 says this. It says, Now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Here's why that's important. Folks, Elijah obviously represents the prophets of God. 
You know, we, we see his testimony, his witness, the type he was a type of Christ. We, we see this, this pattern in his life. We see that, that he was a type of Christ in that he, uh, he commissioned Elisha, which is a type of the church, a greater works type of, uh, of, of commissioning. And so his life, you know, the widow of Zarephath's son, he laid over him and he was resurrected. That is the type of, of, of Christ dying and being risen again. Uh, him extending the, 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 the widow's uh, 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 meal and oil, talking about the bread of life and the, the oil of the Holy Spirit, and it's not going to waste or spoil. And so we, we see this, his testimony as the type of that, that prophet, excuse me, the type, yeah, the type of the prophet here represented. And, but the law is really only represented in the Scripture through Moses. I mean, the prophet, I could say, well, somebody else is a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet. But the law can only be attributed to one. And we know that the standard in this day is not going to be the age of grace or the church age. It's going to be the reverting back to that final week of the law and the prophets. It's going to testify against those who have deviated from that pattern that is being restored in chapter 11, verse 1. And, and some are going to say, well, you know, Moses died, and so as a result, it can't be him. You know, where does the Scripture say that God can't raise somebody up again? I mean, where does it really say that? You know, we, we, we saw that he raised up Lazarus, right, who was dead four days. And so, can God only raise somebody else to, up to speak again after four days? Or is a, a, a day of the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years a day, you know, is what is it? What's that, that time period we're looking at that God can actually do that? And so we know that God is a God of the miraculous. He said, I am the resurrection and, and I am the life. And, and also, and listen, we can look at Jude again. We talked about Jude verse 14 and 15 that people use as a proof text for Enoch. But let me give you verse 9 of that same book as a proof text for Moses. And it said, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation. He said, the Lord rebuked thee. In other words, uh, uh, Satan was saying, no, 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 you can't, you can, that body's got to go into the ground. That God, body's got to rot. Basically, that's probably the conversation. And, and Michael's saying, listen, God's taking care of that body. Why? Because I believe that he, he needed it. And you see the manifestation of that body on the Temple Mount, uh, excuse me, on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 8. And who was right there? Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. I believe that was probably pretty much a, a, a precursor and a, a testimony of what was going to be unfolding. And so, uh, these witnesses, I believe Moses and Elijah, and you, you, you look at the, their, their appearance upon the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, death of Moses, obviously right there being mysterious, Jude 8 and verse 9, contending for that, that body, uh, the judgments and the plagues, that are going to be upon the earth. Not only did I mention that they're consistent with Elijah, but you're going to see they're also going to be very consistent. We talked about four of the plagues that were put upon Egypt are the exact plagues that are going to be put upon the world during the time of the, of the tribulation. Uh, uh, and so we're going to see that, that whole pattern that's going to be duplicated or replicated. And it says, and they were... Uh, let me get to that next verse. And it says, They were given uh, power, and they were, shall prophesy... 2,000, uh, uh, excuse me, 1,203 score days clothed in sackcloth, and these two are two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before, uh, the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire will proceed out of their mouths and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must also be killed in like manner. It says they are going to prophesy. They are going to speak of events 
They're going to share and they're going to tell people exactly what's going to happen. Folks, don't you think if somebody told you exactly what's going to happen, you'd want to, to repent and adhere to that? You'd think that, wouldn't you? But, but how many times right now do you prophesy the coming of the Lord? Do you say, listen, unless you repent, you'll perish. Uh, unless you humble yourself and, and receive the mercy of God, that you're going to fall under the, the hand of a, a wrathful God. Folks, listen, they're going to stand up and they're going to speak basically under the anointing and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to speak as the mouthpieces of God during this time. They've been given that responsibility. And it says that they are going to be two olive trees. And what, folks, what this is, this is a reference to Zechariah chapter 4, where it says uh, the two olive trees are described as the two anointed ones. That's Zechariah chapter 4. Is they're described as the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. In other words, these are special and unique individuals who are brought to the earth from heaven to witness for Christ. And so what better people to witness for Christ but people who have been with Christ all this time? And like I said, I believe that they are Moses and Elijah. And they're going to witness to the earth about the Messiah who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says, but if anybody desires to, to harm them. Folks, during this 1260 days of their ministry, these Two witnesses are going to have supernatural protection. They're not going to need the uh, uh, the CIA or the, the the military. They're not going to need the, the the secret service to protect them. They're going to work in a supernatural type of ability and a protection. You, you know what kind of uh, humors me right now is that you know I know that I've got a supernatural protection. That no weapon that's formed against me is going to prosper. Even every tongue that rises up against me, he's going to cast those things down. You know, I've been into churches that have a few thousand members in, in really a suburban area where everybody's pretty much white collar, sweet folks. Uh, you don't ever see the demoniacs come in. You don't see the gangbangers or the, 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 the disruption in services. You've got a 60 minute service, people to rush in and rush out. And they have these secret service type people, uh, these sentinels, Assigned to the pastor. The pastor's ushered in. He's, he's, he's got bodyguards and he's ushered out. As though someone's going to do something to him. Folks, listen, I've stood in the presence of gangs out on the streets and it's just me. We've gone into housing uh, uh, complexes where people were armed to the teeth. We've preached uh, open air in the middle of 100,000 radical militant homosexuals. You know how many times that I've been gunned down? Obviously zero. You know how many times that I've been struck on the head with a brick and knocked unconscious? Zero. Do you know how many times I've been uh, had somebody take their fist and punch me? Zero. You know how many times I've, I've I haven't been able to finish my message because of the threat of violence? Zero. Have not had it. Why? Because there's a protection, a divine protection that God will give you when you're walking in that empowerment that He's called you to do at that particular time. And so what you're seeing is that manifestation of that for that particular time. Now, folks, if you're not walking in it, uh, don't go out there and open your mouth because you may get smacked. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, you, you, you may find yourself up against something. Why? Because you'll say and do something that maybe particularly God did not have you to do that. And so, in other words, they're under this protection and, and no one's going to be able to, to harm them. And you know what's similar to when we talk about Moses? Think about the protection he had when he went before uh, Pharaoh and the plagues were called down in Egypt. And, and, and despite all these plagues and all these things... Pharaoh could not lay a hand on Moses. He was prevented. You would think, you know, man, if Pharaoh had all this might, that when Moses stepped into this place, a guy that had already been exiled from there, he returns on the scene, he begins to make these pronouncements. Pharaoh being the leader and the, the king and the, the, the mighty man that he was, 
He, he would have, should have been able to lay a hand on him, except for the fact that there was this divine type of protection. Also, Elijah was able to, to prevent his capture because what? He was able to uh, call down fire from anybody that would be willing to attack him. You'll see that in 2 Kings chapter 1, 3-13. through But in spite of being in this repentant state, this message for this three and a half year period, and, and which probably the message seemed ridiculous probably to everybody that was listening to it. Uh, they're, they're calling down and this judgment protected them and, and they're going to make the world uh, furious, but they're going to draw complete attention from everyone. It says they will have power. They'll have power during this period of time. I will give them power to my two witnesses. Folks, isn't that just an echo of Acts 1 and 8? You will see power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be a witness or a martos. These men, we're going to see, they're going to eventually be killed. But it's going to be totally in God's timing. You, and resurrected in God's timing. You and I may eventually, the, our time is going to come to an end. We may be that martos. Our life might be cut. But you know what it's going to be? It's going to be in God's time. Uh, yeah, uh, we, we may have to, to lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. But you know what? It'll be in the time that God has and not any other time. And so these men are going to have power. Folks, you know what you and I have? We have Power. We have power to cast out devils. We have power to lay hands on the sick. We have power to speak in new tongues. To, 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 if we take up any, a serpent, it won't hurt, harm us. If we drink any deadly thing, it, it will not uh, 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 kill us or destroy us. Now, But the only way that that power can be activated is if that power is consistent with the message, amen, which is consistent with our focus. And so if I've got a revelation of who Jesus is, and my testimony is consistent with that revelation, you know what? My power is going to be manifested in agreement with all of those things. And so, folks, if you're wondering where the power is, the power is is probably devoid of a message and a testimony of a life that does not have it. As soon as we can come to the revelation of that point in our in our lives and see Jesus who He is and get a manifestation of the cross and really what the benefits are, you know what? We're going to see that. That's the promise that He has for each and every one of us. We'll go preach the Word with signs and wonders confirming that. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, folks, we've been talked out of that power. We've been talked out of exactly what he promised in 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 3, what he gave in Acts 1 and 8. We've been talked out of that power. Can you imagine if these witnesses showed up on the scene preaching the type of message they did and they'd been talked out of their power? You know what? Their, their, their testimony, their message, their ministry would not have lasted that 1,260 days. It lasted about five minutes because they'd have been overran. And so my question is, is your testimony being overran by the lack of consecration or the lack of righteousness that's in your life. And so during that period, uh, uh, we saw in Elijah's ministry, he was able to stop the rain uh, for three and a half years. And that's going to be repeated once again in the first half of this tribulation uh, period. Also, I mentioned the ten plagues called down on Egypt uh, that he spoke and it brought this calamity. Four of those plagues are going to be repeated right here in the book of the, the Revelation, the 11th chapter. And folks, can't believe we're out of time. But we're, uh, we'll be back tomorrow if the Lord doesn't come in the next 24 hours. We'll be back. And folks, listen, some of you may be out of time. You know, you really, I say that we're out of time, and we're out of time in regards to the class that we have today and the study of this Word. But you may be out of time in regards to the opportunity to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this may be it for you. You don't know. It's a, it is a point that a man wants to die in the judgment. In other words, you're not going to escape the judgment of God. You're going to have to stand before Him, whether it's today, tomorrow, next week, or next year. 
But the word says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And I want to tell you that God in His mercy has brought you to hear this message today. Listen, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a people, a church without spot or blemish. He's not coming looking for your, your membership. He's not coming to see if you've got the right little pendant or the right little saint hanging around your neck. He's not going to come and ask if you had the right cracker and the right juice this past week. He's going to come and the Word says, When the Son of Man returns, will He find faith? On the earth. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And what the Word of God does is tells us exactly the expectations that God has for the follower of Christ Jesus. So I want to tell you today if that's not you, that you need to turn. You need to begin to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance with sackcloth and ashes. In other words, humbling yourself and say, God, I need you to come into my heart and life. I believe that Jesus is my only hope. If you'll do that, he said you'll be saved. If you've got any other questions about that, I'm Pastor Troy Bond. be glad to pray with you, talk to you, answer any questions. And you can email me at raven at biggrace.com, raven at biggrace.com, and I'd love to pray with you and talk to you along these lines. Folks, i got one bit of advice for you today as we close out. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.